go ahead and take a seat. Amen. Well, good morning. My name is Derek Carpenter. I'm one of the pastors here. And I just wanted to start. I was sitting there just thinking, I don't know if you know this, but God is on the move. Um, in our prayer time before the service, somebody thank God for the way that he's moving. And God is moving. Um, he's moving all over the place. But one of the, I mean, just sitting here, you guys probably didn't get to see. I got to see Jonah playing the cajon up here. Well, this is jo Jonah. Is this your first time serving up here? Yeah. Awesome. I, that's exciting. Yes. <laughs> Thank you, Jonah. I mean, just this cajon, that added a lot to our worship experience. And God got to work through Jonah for, for his glory and for, for our benefit. But God is moving. This week we went to um, a conference in, in the Bay Area of California, which is a weird place. Um, <laughs> but just the way people, it's a weird place. But we had 17 of our people in leadership go to that conference. That's a huge deal. A, a church our size for 17 people to take time off of work, uh, to, to, there was some cost involved to go be part of that. It was really awesome. You know, we had dinner one night and we had to get like an own, our own room and, and fill up this giant table and just talk about what God is showing us, what God is teaching us. So God is, is moving through people here because we, we want to be part of God moving and we know that it's not about a couple people. We don't want to be a spectator church where we come and sit and we watch the professionals do the church thing. We want to be a group where God is moving through and that's, that's happening. You know, down in Minden, there's new people serving. Up here, there's new people serving. God is moving through us and, and he's moving through other churches too in our area and in other areas. It's just exciting. Uh, just one thing, I mean, I could just keep going through the list of how God's on the move. Uh, I was burning weeds day before yesterday and other things. And... Uh, Neighbor came over, you know, we talked about burning. They need to burn and they didn't know the rules. And so we talked about burning and then, you know, started talking about church and, and how God is working. And, and, you know, we just said, you know, God has called us to do it different than a lot of other churches. We, we're going to kind of spring up in other locations for the community, uh, like here in Pinion. She's like, oh, yeah, I saw on Facebook you guys did this thing. So God is moving. And if you don't know it, people are watching. So, I mean, this neighbor of mine, she knows a lot more about me <laughs> than I thought. I, as she started talking about the things, she's watching. They're watching. And so you guys are being watched by the world. And God is moving through us and in us. And it's just exciting. So sorry to rant. Let me pray. Lord Jesus, uh, thank you that you are moving. Thank you that we get to be part of what you're doing. Thank you that we have access to you, direct access to you. When life is happening, sickness, uh, disease, relationship problems, money problems, whatever it would be, God, we can come straight to you and we know that you care. Um, and you give us what we need. Maybe not always what we want, but we can trust you. Uh, thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. Have you ever been on a sports team and created a game plan? So maybe you're in baseball and you get together, what are we going to do? Hit the ball really far and run fast. Um, and if you're in the field, try and get them out. I'm, so I'm not sure baseball, there's much game plan. Maybe with the pitcher there is. Or, or volleyball, bump, set, spike. Um, but you get to like football, and then you got to create a game plan. Who are we playing? What are their strengths? What are their weaknesses? How are we going to do our best to beat that team? Uh, game plan, if you've ever heard of the rope-a-dope, who's heard of the rope-a-dope? Oh, so cool. So Muhammad Ali fighting George Foreman before he was really old. 
George Foreman was by far the stronger fighter of the two. And so uh, Muhammad Ali practiced taking punches against the rope. So if you stand and you take punches, your body feels it. But if you lean against the ropes, they can hit you all day and the rope takes it. And so that's what he did. Muhammad Ali planned, this is what I'm going to, and round after round, he just sat on the ropes like this, taking punches until round eight, he knocked him out because he was so tired. You know, just if you watch the video, he's just worn out and Muhammad Ali knocks him out. That was a game plan that worked. You know, what about other plans? You know, if you're going to build a house, you kind of need plans. Uh, around, there's a lot of developments going in. There's one over here, there's one over there. And as you watch, you see, man, they really are planning ahead. Where is water going to flow? They need septic and sewage and all that. There's plans. What about this world and humanity? Does God have a plan? Have you ever thought about that? Did God just create mankind and say, good luck? Did God create us and now he's just trying to keep up with our mistakes? And patching, you know, like a, a leaky bucket, Band-Aid here, Band-Aid there. Or does God have a plan from beginning to end? We're starting a series in Matthew. We're going to spend four weeks in the book of Matthew. So go ahead and turn there. And I encourage you to turn there because we're going to flip around. But in the book of Matthew, we're going to get an idea of God's game plan. And I'm going to just give it to you right up front. We're going to see that he, from the very beginning, he knew what he was going to do. And he's still carrying it out. And he hasn't gotten anything wrong yet. He hasn't been surprised yet. And so we're going to be in Matthew. and We're going to skip around. Now, just a warning. If you know me very well, here are some things you, you already know about me. I, I'm not about knowledge alone. We need to learn, but the learning is supposed to do something in our lives. Today is going to be a lot of information. So just put, put it out there. If you're used to just drifting off in the middle... Don't drift off today. There's a lot of information coming. It's going to be like drinking through a fire hose. So open up your Bible. It'll help you to follow along. But this information that we're going to get is amazing if you pay attention. It's huge. But we're looking at God's game plan that he created before time began and to this day is still carrying out his original plan. And before we start, if you're wondering, what does that have to do with me? You're part of his plan. You're part of his plan. And if you have placed your faith in Jesus Christ as Lord, you are part of his family. And in Ephesians 1.4, Paul writes this. It says, For he, God, chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. So before God spoke in Genesis and created. You know, he spoke, he created the waters. He said, before he did that, he had you on his mind. That's awesome. He knew he was going to make you and he knew what he was going to want to do in your life. So you are part of his plan. But you're not the center of his plan. You're not the hero of the story. I'm not the hero of the story. Maybe as you watch movies growing up, uh, superhero movies, those are popular right now. You always picture yourself as the hero. Well, we're not the hero of this story, which is actually really good news as we get to know the story, but it's not about us. God's plan is centered around Jesus. His plan from the beginning is centered around Jesus. So the book of Matthew, if you'll notice, it is the first book in your New Testament. Old Testament, New Testament, 
Uh, the Old Testament, by the way, is very, very relevant to us today. Uh, and the biggest thing that you really get from the Old Testament is God's plan pointing forward to Jesus. Matthew was one of Jesus' disciples. He was actually a tax collector. So Matthew was, worked for the Roman government before he went with Jesus. So he was actually hated by the rest of the Jews. But being a tax collector, being a Roman official type person, he could write. So Matthew probably took shorthand. He took notes during Jesus' ministry. So Matthew is also, again, he's Jewish. He is this, this link book from the Old Testament to the New. And he's writing on purpose. So Matthew is writing. It's not actually the first book written in the New Testament. James was probably the first book written in the New Testament, but it's not first. Matthew is first because it serves a purpose to link the old to the new. That's why I'm telling you, we're going to drink from a fire hose a little bit because we have to understand some of the Old Testament so that we can understand what Matthew's trying to get across and then understand the rest of the New Testament. So we're going to see three things about Jesus, three aspects of his identity, and we're going to look at three covenants in the Old Testament. A covenant, actually, pop up this, this timeline. This is going to help us. So a covenant is, is a, an arrangement between two people. It's like a contract, but it's way deeper than a contract. And God has this habit of making covenants with people. And through these covenants is how God is carrying out his plan. And so here's, here's the timeline. You can look either side. Estimated 4,000 B.C., you have Adam and Eve. But we're going to pick it up right around Abraham. Abraham is around the year 2000 B.C. We need to understand Abraham to understand Matthew and actually the whole rest of the New Testament. Abraham was chosen by God. This is after Noah's flood, quite a bit after, a few hundred years. Abraham was chosen by God to go. He said his name was Abram first, till God changed his name. He said, go, and I'm going to make a great nation of you. Go to where I'm going to tell you. And he didn't tell him where he was going to go. He just said, go. So Abraham goes, and there's the, the first covenant we really see that helps us understand Matthew is given to Abraham. And he says this in Genesis 12, 1 through 3. We'll pop this up in just a minute. The Lord had said to Abram, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. And I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you I will curse, and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. This is the Abrahamic covenant. Now, here's the thing. Covenants can either be unilateral, which the ones with God are really always unilateral, God making them with, with mankind, but they're either conditional or unconditional. This is an unconditional covenant. This is a promise God made to Abraham that he's going to do no matter what. It's not based on what Abraham will do. It's based on God alone. So he makes this promise, and there's three things about this promise. What do you see in there in that covenant? He promises him land. By the way, it's the land Israel is in right now. He promises them land. He promises them seed. I will make you in a great nation. So have lots and lots of kids. And, and on down, land, seed, and then blessing. And you see that twice. Uh, you will be a blessing, you see. And at the end, he says, all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So he promises him, and God's going to carry this out. You're going to have land. You're going to have a lot of kids. And you're going to be a blessing to the world. That's his promise to Abraham. This is around 2000 B.C. 500 years later, 
If you guys remember your history a little bit, uh, the Jews were in, in uh, Egypt. They were turned into slaves. 400 years after they were slaves, Moses leads them out. And as Moses leads them out, you've got to understand these people. These are the descendants of Abraham, but they had lived in Egypt for 400 years. Their religion had gotten a little bit wonky. Uh, they, they weren't following God clearly and as perfectly. And so through Moses, as God led them out, he gave the law or another covenant. And, and this covenant has different names, the Mosaic covenant. But this is different than the Abrahamic covenant. This covenant is conditional. And he says, I'm going to bless you and you'll be my people if you do these things. So God gave them what's called the law, a whole bunch of rules. Ten commandments. Do we know what those are? We know about them at least. <laughs> but he gave them the Ten Commandments and all these rules. And, and it was very important that he gave them this law through Moses. It was kind of like a measuring rod. So here's God's people. And they go, God, how should we live? What do you want us to do? He gave them a measuring rod, something that they could compare themselves to. And go, okay, we're, we're walking God's way. This is a good thing. And then if they sinned, so it had to define sin. You know, there was sin before that, but it wasn't defined. It was defined as sin, this, this, this. And if you sin, here's what you have to do. And so there was a sacrificial system set up. Each year they would have to sacrifice a, a lamb or a goat for their sins. And so all of this was preparing the way. But this is 500 years after Abraham. And here's this other covenant. Okay, so we got that. Two covenants. Abraham, land, seed, and blessing. The Mosaic covenant. You'll be blessed if you follow all these rules. 500 years after that, a king came along. Who do you think it was? David. King David, a man after God's own heart. He is king of Israel. They are in the land. There are many of them. So the Abrahamic covenant was being fulfilled. They were in the land, lots of kids. And really after David, uh, King Solomon, David's son Solomon, you really see a blessing to the whole world. I mean, the whole world is coming to hear the wisdom of Solomon, to see their riches. So some of that was, was being fulfilled, but, but not fully. So God then, he makes a promise to David called the Davidic covenant. And he tells David in Samuel 7, verse 16, he says, And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. So this, again, is an unconditional covenant, a promise God made to David. What's he promise him? An heir on the throne forever. That's kind of a big promise. Over the next thousand years, the Jews would do a pretty bad job of following God's law. But that didn't negate God's promises. So they would be captured by Babylon. They would be captured by Assyria. They would be conquered by Persia. And now, a thousand years later, first century, they are owned by Rome. So this is 2,000 years after Abraham. They're in the land, but they don't own it. They don't have a king because... Rome rules over them, and they're not really much of a blessing to the world around them. That's the situation that Jesus comes into and Matthew is writing. So now we can understand a little bit God's promises of what he's going to do. And all of these promises, and you read through the prophets and you look what's going on, is it all points to a person. The Bible calls him the Messiah the coming one or the king that's going to come. It all points to a person that's going to come to restore and fulfill these covenants. So look at Matthew chapter one. That's a big intro, but we, we need that info. Matthew chapter one, verse one. 
Matthew writes, he says, The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. So now you understand why he started the book with this. Now he's going to go through the genealogy from Abraham all the way to Jesus. You know, you see Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac of Jacob, Jacob of Judah. We're not going to go through it all. You can read that later. But he goes all through this list pointing to Jesus is a descendant of Abraham and Jesus is a descendant of David. All right, sermon within a sermon. Side note, if you look through this, uh, this genealogy, you'll see four women in the genealogy. In that day and age, you know, inheritance and those things were passed father to son. You wouldn't put women into the genealogy typically. But here we have four, and all four are connected to Gentiles. It's kind of interesting. You see here um, Tamar in verse 3. She was a Canaanite. She was not a Jew. Verse 5, you see Rahab, who was a prostitute and a Gentile, chose to follow God. Verse 5, Ruth who was a Moabite, and then Bathsheba was married to a Hittite before she was married to David. Four women connected to Gentiles. Matthew is, is laying out part of Jesus' mission. Jesus came to save all, not just Jews. And even in Jesus' lineage are Gentiles, at least four. And Jesus would elevate women. That's one of the great things about what happened with Christianity is women were brought up to equal status with men. Different, but equal. So Jesus would elevate women. Side note. All right, looking on. Let's look at chapter 2 real quick. Chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. These are verses you probably hear around Christmas. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and we have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. All right, when you think of these wise men, what do you picture? Three of them on three camels, right? I mean, we all have the nativity scene sets in our houses around Christmas. Throw those out. They're all wrong. <laughs> the, the picture is not right. These three wise men, these were magi. They were from Persia. So they were from the east, but they were from Persia specifically. These wise men from Persia were dignitaries. They were officials for the government of Persia. There were probably many more than three. We think there's three because there are three gifts listed. But they, were, they would have come with an entourage. I mean, camels and everything, but they, I mean, a big entourage, probably a military escort from Persia into Roman ter territory. So, I mean, picture that. Why was the king in that area, Herod, why was he so afraid? Because this is not what happens. Why was all Jerusalem troubled, as you see there in verse 3? Why was all Jerusalem troubled? Because these magi were very, very important in Persia. They were stargazers. You know, they would look at the stars. They would watch the stars. That's why they, there was this star that they followed to, to see Jesus' birth. They were counselors to the king. They were dream interpreters, and they were called kingmakers. The Magi had the power in Persia to set up a new king. So these kingmakers have come into Jerusalem saying, where is the king of the Jews? You see how that's a little bit troubling? 
There was no king of the Jews. He was promised through Abraham and then David that there would be, but he wasn't there yet. So these wise men come, these magi, and they bring gifts. The gifts that you see in verse, chapter 2, verse 11, says, And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother. They fell down and worshipped him. Holy mackerel. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. These were noble gifts. These were things in a noble house to a king. They were recognizing a new king. Kind of a side note, how would Persian wise men know of a coming Messiah? Ever heard of a book called Daniel? Daniel was a young man who was captured from Israel. He was a Jew and he was taken to Persia, Babylon before, and then Persia took over Babylon, and he served the Persian kings. And he was a dream interpreter. And he became really number two in the kingdom of Persia hundreds of years before this. He probably passed down the story. Hey, there's a real king coming. Anyway, you see God's plan? <laughs> you see how God began knowing what he was going to do and he made these promises? He even then sent Daniel hundreds of years before to hang out in Persia to prepare them for what's going to happen a few hundred years later. But here's, here's the point Matthew's trying to make through all the things that we've seen. Jesus is the true king of Israel and of all who can usher in the eternal kingdom. Jesus is the true king. We talk all the time about Jesus being king. I mean, our mission statement is to expand the kingdom of God in our lives and the world around us. We didn't just make that up. Jesus is the true king, promised from of old. That's really, really cool. It's not just words we Christians say. Jesus is king. He had the right genealogy. He was recognized as king. But that's not all. Jesus is the fulfillment of the Davidic covenant, which isn't fully physical yet. He will come back. And that's where we're going to look at the next one. But the, the Jews who would study the Old Testament, they knew the Messiah was coming. There was a, a common understanding as they wrestled with, and, and they said, how is this going to happen? They thought there would be two messiahs. One would be the king, descendant of David. The other would be a suffering servant. In Isaiah 53, we see a really beautiful, and by the way, in your groups this week, you're going to read Isaiah 53 and talk about it. But in Isaiah 53, you see this description of a suffering servant. And then you look at what happened to Jesus on the cross. You say, oh my goodness, that lines up perfectly with what God planned to do hundreds of years before and what Jesus did. But Jesus is not only the king, but he was the Messiah. Instead of there being two Messiahs, there would be one who would come twice. That's kind of the, the switch. God knew he was going to do it that way, but they didn't fully understand it. Now we get that. Jesus came first as the suffering servant to deal with sin, to die on the cross. But he's coming again, and he's going to reign perfectly as king when he comes again. Matthew quotes the Old Testament more than any other New Testament writer. He is all about these promises pointing toward, you know, uh, Matthew flipped back a page in Matthew 1, verse 23. He quotes here uh, from Isaiah 7, 14, saying, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. And then you go on and you see uh, chapter 2, verse 6. This is a direct quote from Micah who was a prophet in the Old Testament. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. 
For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then you see in chapter 2, verse 15, it talks about Egypt. There was prophecies that out of Egypt I would call my son. Well, Jesus spent some time in Egypt when he was a, a young child. Herod would kill the other children in that area, hoping to kill the future king. And in 2.18, you see the prophecy from, from the Old Testament talking about this was going to happen. He would live in Nazareth, again, chapter 2, verse 23, quoting the Old Testament. Chapter 3, verse 3, talks about John the Baptist, the forerunner to the Messiah. Matthew is quoting all these Old Testament scriptures saying, Jesus fulfilled this one, and Jesus fulfilled this one, and Jesus fulfilled this one. And he's just laying out this beautiful argument that Jesus is the one you've been waiting for. So there were many more than six prophecies made about the coming Messiah. But a statistician, is that how you say it? Statistician. Yeah, good for me. A statistician did, did the math of, of what, how could one person fulfill just six of all these prophecies of the coming Messiah. And he took into account populations and all this stuff. I don't know how they do it. But what he landed on was for somebody to, to do, fulfill just six of these prophecies would be equivalent to covering Texas, a pretty big state, covering Texas with silver dollars, one foot deep, marking one with an X and hiding it somewhere. And then blindfolding somebody and then pulling it out on their first try. Six, and Jesus fulfilled way more than six. Do, do you see the point that he's trying to make? God had a plan, and God is carrying out that plan perfectly. From beginning to end, it points to Jesus. Jesus is the true king, but Jesus is also the promised Messiah. Messiah and Christ mean the same thing. Messiah is the Jewish Christ. Christ is Greek. So Jesus' last name wasn't Christ. Just so you know, Jesus Christ. That's his title as the Messiah. He fulfilled the Abrahamic covenant, being a descendant of Abraham, and would be a blessing to the nations. How did Jesus bless the nations? Well, look around now. What is the church made up of? God's people now are made up of people from all, probably not all yet, but they will be all colors, all tribes, all tongues, all nations, and it's all through the blood of Jesus. But you, you may ask, who, who cares? So, I mean, we're, we're talking about these covenants, and, and some of it's like, uh, that's, I don't care, that's up there. Why the Messiah? Why did it matter that he came? And now we go back to that Mosaic covenant, that blessing would be dependent on obedience. Is that good news to anybody? We're going to talk a lot more about this next week. But the new covenant that Jesus would make would replace the Mosaic covenant. This is a big deal. They lived their lives obeying these rules and then killing animals when they broke the rules. That's what they did. That's how they lived right with God. The law was given basically to show them we can't do it. We need help. And so here's in Jeremiah. Jeremiah was a, a, another prophet hundreds of years before Jesus pointing forward to what the Messiah would do. This is on the screen. Jeremiah 31, 33 to 34 says this. This is God speaking. This is the covenant I will make with the people of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will they teach their neighbor or say to one another, know the Lord, because they will all know me. From the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. 
for I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. This new covenant would change the system. You see the last line here. I will remember their sins no more. For the Jew, their sins were being chalked up and then they'd have to go sacrifice for it. But to remember their sins no more, this is a perfect sacrifice. This is something different. No longer would it be about a list of rules to be right and sacrifice when you got it wrong. All of that pointed to Jesus. All of that pointed so that they would understand that when Jesus died on the cross, they would get it and go, oh, that's what all these sacrifices were for. That's why we celebrate this Passover feast every year so we'll recognize what God is doing through Jesus. This blessing then is given to those who believe in Jesus, not those who obey the law. That's a big deal to us. That's a big deal to us. Now, there's one other thing. So we've covered all the covenants. Now, there's one other thing we want to recognize about Jesus. He is the king. He is the Messiah. Now, by the way, are you getting an elevated view of Jesus? I hope so. (laughs) My heart was beating as I was studying this that we would walk out of here like this. That's the point, that Jesus is elevated. We're not here to do religion. We're not here to do church. By the way, when we come to church, we don't just get another mark in our book that's good for us. Ideally, we are connecting with God. The Holy Spirit is meeting with us, and He is elevating Himself because that's best for us, and He's glorified anyway. Matthew 1.23. We already looked at this verse, but I want to draw out something else in this verse. This is the prophecy that was looking forward. And it said, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Emmanuel. Isaiah 9.6. It'll be on your screen. Again, another prophet. You see how we're going back to the Old Testament a lot? I agree with Matthew. He did a good job. But Isaiah 9.6. For to us a child is born. To us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. How could a child be called Mighty God and Everlasting Father? How is that possible? Jesus is God among us. Jesus is God in flesh. No other religion points to their holy man as God, but we do. In fact, for all of this to work, Jesus has to be God. Matthew wants us to understand Jesus is God. In Isaiah 10, 21, it refers to mighty God, just like it does here. And it can refer to nobody other than the one and only great God. That's who he is. In Matthew 14, 33, later, you'll see Jesus calm a storm. And he's in the boat with their disciples. And he does what nobody can do. I mean, who can speak to the weather and change it? Well, Jesus did. And he turns around, and everybody in the boat is like this. And they just they start worshiping him. In, in Matthew 14, 33, it says this, Then those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. They worshipped him. The magi that came to see the baby Jesus worshipped him. Does a good man receive worship if he's not God? No. People worshipped Jesus, and he took it. Jesus is God among us. God's plan from the beginning was to come to earth as a man, to reveal the Father to us, and to save us from our sins by giving his life. That was God's plan. 
Do you think God's been surprised by anything? That's God's plan. Does this give you confidence in your life that God has been carrying out his plan and you're part of it? You're part of his plan. As we go on in the book of Matthew, Matthew 16, 18, Jesus says this, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail. He's going to go on to explain my plan continues. It was, my plan was Jesus. But Jesus says, hey, by the way, I have to leave and I'm going to send the Holy Spirit to you and you're going to do greater things than me, meaning more things. So his plan was Jesus would set up this new system, system, this new covenant through his blood where people are right with God through Jesus. He would set up his church, which is us and all the other gospel believing churches in town. They're all part of his kingdom, too. And then through his people, God is going to bring more people to him. That's his plan until he comes back. And you're part of his plan. Ephesians 2.10 says that we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works that God prepared beforehand that we would walk in them. Do you know that? God has planned great things for you to do for him, and it's just up to you and me to walk in them. That's awesome. This should fill us with hope, with confidence, and with purpose. Because for some reason, God chooses to work through his people, not around them. This leads us to elevate Jesus, to worship, and then to follow. So let's do that now. Let's continue to worship. Lord Jesus Christ, you are the king. You are the Messiah. You are God. You are the answer to all of the Old Testament promises. And you have made many more promises to us. God, and you have never failed in one of your promises. Thank you. Thank you that we can hope in you. Thank you that we can have confidence in you because this world can be really, really hard. Relationships, family, uh, work, money, all those things, church life. It can get really, really difficult. But when we see that you, you are so powerful and so loving that from the beginning to the end, you had a plan and you've never failed yet. That, like that song that we sing, you've never failed me yet. You've never failed yet, which means we can be confident in you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you that we are blessed and right with you because of Jesus, not because of our good works. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would stir in us now a love for you, that we would now respond, whether it's singing, whether it's the prayer wall, whether it's getting together to pray with somebody, that we would respond and you would be worshiped and glorified and lifted up. In Jesus' name, amen.